think way back to Pokemon, Pokemon Go, which they don't like to talk about, but that was what started this. And, and then owning those things and then reselling those things because someone else thought they were very valuable facilitated some of the people that are in the business now, you know, OpenSea and Mintable, and they were early owners of these kind of things. And then, you know, fast forward to Bored Apes on uh, uh, Yuga Labs, where, you know, Jimmy Fallon paid, you know, a quarter of a million dollars for his Bored Ape, Eminem, same, Snoop Dogg. All my posse. Yep. And they've kept theirs, but I know people I teach with someone his son is a is an NFT trader. There is such a thing. And some of the early adopters of those have bought and sold those and they facilitated them in some cases moving out of their parents' basement. But in a lot of cases, you know, being I'm planning to, don't rub it in. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, this program is not intended to express the views of Howard County Community College, its student body, its employees, or anyone else other than the participants. Today, we have a great privilege in having Professor David Allen of St. Joseph's University on the program to talk about all sorts of things that I can't comprehend at all, and hopefully he does so our audience will understand them better. Welcome to the show, Professor Allen. Bob, it's a great pleasure to be here. Dave Allen is an alumnus of the American University and also of St. Joseph's and Temple Universities, where he got his PhD in 2004 in mass media and communication. He has kind of a fascinating, to me anyway, history with regard to communications, radio and that sort of thing that we'll elaborate on a little bit to give the student body who does listen to the show some idea of the opportunities that are out there in communications. And Dave has been a marketing professor at St. Joseph's University, including being the chair of the department on two separate occasions, and seems to know about lots of topics that interest me. And the one that's the primary focus today is NFTs. And I wonder, Dave, if you could tell us a little bit about what NFTs are and why they are important. Well, it has a longer history than people might think. I mean, it really starts with Bitcoin which goes all the way back to 2008. And it was primarily just, you may have heard of a, a white paper, but it was just a smart guy, Santoshi Nakamoto, who talked about Bitcoin as a digital currency that could be used in a digital technology that was coming about. And then sort of sat there. And then in 2010, everybody caught wind of two pizzas being bought for what was then 10,000 Bitcoin by a fellow by the name of Laszlo. And I checked just this morning. So those two pizzas at today's Bitcoin rate would have been $193,250. So pretty good return on those pizzas in those days and in these days. And then fast forward, so a lot of stuff is happening that even I don't understand in computer lands and smarter people than me and creating computer programs and hard drives and fast forward to a couple of really smart guys who are sitting at a conference in 2014 who decide they're gonna 
make the first NFT. So a blockchain, I don't want to throw terms around without defining them. A blockchain is a little publicly accessible, transparent ledger. If you think about going to your local library or notary public, and they put that little seal on your piece of paper, this is sort of that digital seal in space, I guess, computer space. And the NFT is something on there, a certificate of an asset that you've put on there could be, you know, fast forward to today, it could be a, a transcript of a student at a college or anything like that. They're talking about leases and all that kind of stuff and in different areas. And so these guys, 2014 sitting around going, I think we can do an NFT. And they did a little art NFT, which a JPEG like thing in space. And this guy, Kevin McCoy and a guy named Dash do this. Fast forward to just two years ago, last year, 2021 at Sotheby's, that original NFT sold for 1.4 million. Somebody paid that. And then things that you see in the news, 2021, a guy named Beeple had been doing digital art for years and called it Every Days. And then the first 5,000 days sold his for 69 million at auction. That got everyone's attention. I wonder why. <laughs> including mine. And then as I started looking into it, based on my past, Kings of Leon were doing the first NFT album in March of that year and some other pretty cool parts of that. And they ended up making about $2 million from that. And they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland as being the first NFT album. And, you know, along the way, people probably have heard of Bored Apes and CryptoPunks and right. CryptoKitties. And that's the fun part of NFTs and, and blockchain. And But there's a very legal, serious banking side of it that uh, will probably, will definitely outlive all this fun stuff that, that people are talking about probably today. So when I buy a Beeple artwork, can I stick it on the wall of my living room? What do I do with these digital things? I, it seems incomprehensible to me. Well, it's in, in Beeple's case, it's digital art. So yeah, you could have it printed and put it, make a physical copy of it, but it really is a digital asset that needs to be in a digital wallet. And it proves to everyone everywhere that you own the original that doesn't mean that somebody can't make a copy of that and put it on their phone. But if Tug came to pull and you wanted to prove it to people at a, I guess at your cookout, you could show them that on a blockchain somewhere that you are the owner of that. It just seems hard for me to imagine that owning something that is not corporeal, that isn't physical, would be worth $69 million, however exclusive and ownership right it is. It's always in the eye of the beholder what art is worth, I guess. I guess that's why all, most of the famous painters probably died without a penny. And then now we're going to art galleries and seeing their work. You have to take some kind of privilege, uh, knowledge that you own this and it's digital as opposed to actual. And maybe for the naysayers, practical. And that it's worth this. So if you, you know, the metaverse has been being tossed around. This is 
you know, art in the metaverse. And if you want to be in the metaverse, these are things that you will own in the metaverse because they're, you won't be physically there and you won't be able to own physical things there. That kind of hurts my head, but that is true in some fashion. I mean, Time Magazine just came out with a metaverse in August, uh, a new book by a really smart guy named Matthew Ball, and it was the cover. But they didn't NFT it, which was interesting. So can one NFT any digital thing? You can. So it's easy enough. The famous marketplace now is OpenSea. So you go there and you get a wallet. MetaMask is the wallet of choice these days. But so you you hook up a wallet, which comes with usually has to also have some kind of banking connection to your bank. And then you can mint something and then you put it on their marketplace. And if it uh, sells, you can put a price or you can let them bid on it. And then the it would, in that case for OpenSea, it's, it'll be done in uh, cryptocurrency, probably Ethereum or Polygon, not Bitcoin. And that shows up in your little wallet and you can use that to buy other things or you can convert it to cash. Coinbase is the pretty popular way to take a cryptocurrency and change it into US dollars. So it sounds like you can take a song and you can make it into an NFT. You can take a video, a picture, a painting. Are there things that you can't make into an NFT? Well, I have a new company that I've started called NFT University Press, where I'm going to do textbooks. I write textbooks and I'm going to do textbooks. And I had to find someone who could convert a PDF to this format. And so that that wasn't readily available. They, they really, the NFTs really, at this point, like to be art. But certainly the stuff that's being talked about, banking transactions and real estate transactions and academic transcripts and badging is starting to be a big thing in colleges where you take a course or some kind of certificate program instead of getting the PDF mailed to you or sent to you and you can download it, this will be a digital badge, which will be an NFT that you you will have in your wallet and that kind of stuff. And you there'll be a, a little symbol that you're going to be able to put on your LinkedIn profile and that kind of stuff. And colleges, a lot of colleges are starting to look at this. Pepperdine's one and VCU's one. And they're thinking about using this to award certificates for skills learned and then accepting this from other universities to show that you have this if you want to go back and get some kind of advanced degree or if you're the faculty there and you want to show that you have obtained a new skill in academia land. So is it traditional walks of academic life that are, would show up in NFTs or is this going to be sort of more new or esoteric things? No, I think it's, uh, I really do think that, I mean, it's, it's really still very archaic to go get your transcript from a university. Of course, not Howard, but certainly St. Joe's, that you have to fill out forms and that kind of stuff. And, and I recently got yet another degree and it was sent and they had to send it in their own envelope to the school that, that wanted it. And I just found that very curious. 
that it was still done in that fashion. So, yeah, I mean, it, it literally could be anything that could be put on a blockchain in order to verify and solidify its legitimacy in whatever sector you're using it in. So this business of the blockchain, I also find it incomprehensible, but what I understand it to be is a decentralized way of, through a group of computers, acknowledging the existence of something. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, so unknown computers by unknown computer operators, completely anonymous. So does that mean I could be on my laptop and not know that I'm secretly part of the blockchain? Or is it, I know I just don't reveal who I am? No, you've made yourself a, available to this process. And right now it's they're, they're actually talking about centralizing it enough that you will have some point of entry to be one of these big brother, I? big sister kind of approval computers. But you may not know whether... You, on that particular transaction, you were one of the ones that approved that transaction. That is another floor in my building, business intelligence and computer science that I rarely go on. I can but, see why. But now I actually have something to talk to them about at lunch, which is nice, as long as it's a short lunch. And there Do you are call very, them nerds all the time? <laughs> and there are very many questions. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I laugh about it all the time because I'm in marketing. And I'm a communications PhD and, you know, we're friendly to each other. But when I started getting curious about this, they were like, yeah, come on up here. We'll explain it to you. We've been doing this stuff forever. I go, I know. I go, but, you know, the whole business intelligence, that intelligence thing is the problem I have. The business thing I'm good with. <laughs> so how did you stray into this area from your communications background? In early 2021, I, and we were sort of still in COVID then, and I have a podcast. And what's your podcast called and where do we find it? Well, that one was called Marketing Musicology, and I was just looking for cool music things to interview people about. And I saw this whole Kings of Leon thing, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I interviewed their manager that did the NFT album. And for music too, it's we can talk about whether it's going to be for music or for film. It really comes with the bundle of what you get with those kind of things. I mean, NBA hotshots is big now and you can get LeBron dunking and you can own that one piece of video if you like. And again, that's, you know, pulling it out at your cookout and showing somebody on your phone that, and they go, well, you know, could they own it too? Yeah, they, they could own one, but they can't own yours. It's somewhat complicated, a little split in hairs. But uh, so I thought... I go, wow, that's really cool. And then the people thing happened. And then I, I started talking to different people about it. And, you know, I have this high level of intellectual curiosity, curiosity on the larger side than the intellectual part of it. So it seemed interesting to me. And this whole idea about a, a textbook company sort of like, well, maybe I could do textbooks. So and then I was like, you know, I'm the marketer. So I was like, maybe I should have a new podcast called the NFT PhD. And so I, I started that and started interviewing some people. Where do we locate that? Is that the usual podcast sources? Yeah, you can go. I mean, it has its own website, the NFTPhD.com, interviewed Kings of Leon's manager, people. So you've interviewed people? 
I have the Beeple story. <laughs> you know, I really thought that, I mean, he was on Jimmy Fallon and, right. and Jimmy Fallon has a board ape. And I thought it'd be very easy to get Beeple because he has a, a Gmail account, pretty accessible Gmail. And I couldn't. <laughs> and it became very frustrating because I'm usually pretty good at, at stalking people when I want to interview them. I'll remember that. <laughs> and I got nowhere. And I really did it a couple of, you know, like every week, every other week for months, like literally months. And I became very frustrated and try to get with people that I thought knew him. And, and then all of a sudden, very recently, the last couple of months, my phone, I get a text. Hey, it's people. I can talk now. And I thought Holy it was one crap. I thought, it was one, I thought it was one of my friends. Of course. Screwing with me. And I go, Beeple? And he goes, yeah, man, I got 15 minutes. So I'm like, all right, I'm game. I got to figure out who this is that's doing this. And I call him and it was him. And then I was like, oh, I'm not ready. Yeah, you know, didn't have the mic set up and the computer and all that kind of stuff. He goes, all right, man, call me back in an hour. So I call him back in an hour and I interview him for, I have a book coming out called the ABCs of NFTs. It's going to be a textbook that I'm going to NFT. So I wanted to do it for that. And I taped it and I said, okay, if I put this on my podcast, he was like, sure, man. And uh, he was quite interesting. So, and if you follow his art, he does digital art every day. And he's got a little studio in South Carolina. And he's exactly what you would think he was. <laughs> very eccentric, but very down to earth. And, you know, seems to be sort of as maybe uh, as surprised as anyone else that he's riding this wave. So is he a tech guy? Yeah, digital artist. Um, right. But I mean, is that because it seems like that's something that sprung up out of the ground across the last 15 years. And I, it's interesting to me the preeminent practitioner of it, what his origin story is, you know? Yeah, it's it just, he was doing digital art way before he knew what he was going to do with it. And then somewhere along the way, somebody said, you should sell that as an NFT. And he did, and someone bought it. And that has facilitated more of this kind of stuff. And I get the impression that he's going to be doing film and that kind of stuff moving forward and not just JPEGs. Is there something, you know, when you look at something like a Monet or you look at a Van Gogh, there are unique characteristics or qualities to their work or their view. And is that something true for people or, or how would you describe the basis of his success? He caught the craze, whether he caught the craze or started the craze at the time in early 2021 where everyone was noticing this was going to happen, noticing something was happening, had the fear of missing out. And, you know, timing's everything. And his timing was everything. I mean, it seems like you were pretty a view of things in advance. Of a lot of people, are you doing any uh, digital art yourself? I'm not because I'm not very talented when it comes to that kind of stuff. And, and the ones that the early people that got crypto kitties and crypto Punks. So CryptoKitties is on Dapper Labs and CryptoPunks is on Larva Labs. They got those, they were just digital parts of a game, of a digital game. You know, think way back to Pokemon, Pokemon Go, which they don't like to talk about, but that was 
what started this and and then owning those things and then reselling those things because someone else thought they were very valuable facilitated a, some of the people that are in the business now you know OpenSea and Mintable and they were early owners of these kind of things and then you know fast forward to Board Apes on uh, uh, Yuga Labs where you know Jimmy Fallon paid you know a quarter of a million dollars for his Board Ape Eminem same Snoop Dogg, all my posse. Yep, and they've kept theirs. But I know people. I teach with someone. His son is a is an NFT trader. There is such a thing. And some of the early adopters of those have bought and sold those, and they facilitated them. In some cases, moving out of their parents' basement. But in a lot of cases, you know, being I'm able planning to, buy, to don't rub it in, <laughs> buy a house and buy a car and you know, start a new business. You know, if you, the ones that have rode the wave up and rode the wave down probably haven't done as well because the bloom is off at this point with some of that art. If you want to look at it as something that's going to not be for just for your enjoyment, but be for your 401k plan. So when you talk about the Kings of Leon, you know, whatever you want to call it, record or album, how does one access it? Like, I like the Kings of Leon. I went to Meriwether to see him a few years ago when they were particularly hot. If I want to hear this latest work by them, how do I access that? So with music, it's turning into the bundle as opposed to the digital asset or download. Everybody at the beginning thought this was going to be the, the new Napster and you were going to have a digital song that maybe you would only have one and you can do that. But... It's shown now that the record companies were behind and now they got ahead of the curve and they're putting that into their contracts where the music part of it is not something they're going to give up the rights to. What you do get with Kings of Leon, which was really smart when they did it, was that if you bought one, you've got a bundle. You got vinyl two or three months later, which was huge for the Kings of Leon fan. You got, you know, in some cases, backstage passes to meet the group. You know, it really became either a backstage pass and when you see them or it has become, you know, the fan club membership card that gets you, you know, access to them, not them, but what they're doing and where they're doing it before anyone else. And that, that's really the music part of it looks like it's going to settle into that. It's not going to be an actual song, although there's some pretty good history of mixers who have mixed stuff that wasn't on a label, cleared the permissions if they've used samples, if they've created their own music beds, and they've sold them for millions. I mean, that uh, seems like that's the more lucrative path than having the record company that's been promoting you kind of dominate the economics of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the you know, from someone who came out of traditional music and uh, radio and record labels and that kind of stuff, the beautiful thing is now, and I, I tell my students all the time when they want to be rock stars, I mean, the good thing is that you can be a rock star. You can do it all yourself. You can release your own stuff. And I go, the problem is that everybody can do that now. So now it's really about the marketing. And so come take my class. And <laughs> because, you know, they have to find you somewhere. They, now, you know, everyone's on an even playing field, playing ground, and it's all available, but it's all available to everyone. And it was harder to get signed 
back in the day by a record label. Once you did, you were off to the races. And so, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for. Now it's an even playing ground with everybody on it with you. I'm interested that every year Spotify, you know, compiles my favorite songs of the year, and they're usually pretty right about it. But there was a song, uh, Silver Lining, by a band from up near you, Mount Joy, which I like a lot. I'm actually going to go down to the anthem and see them on October 22nd. But, you know, I get an email from them saying, oh, we really appreciate your support. And, you know, Spotify tells me it was the number one played song for me and you can get access to tickets before anybody else. And so I did. And I thought that that was kind of a cool way. I mean, I might feel a little bit like I'm being spied on, but at the same time, I get some benefit because I think their music is great and I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the a company that did the minting of the Kings of Leon package, Yellowheart, is headlong into the ticketing game. So NFT tickets are big. If you were the person that kept your ticket when you saw the Rolling Stones or you know Led Zeppelin or something like that, and this is a digital ticket that you can prove that you were there and you know it could be you know a game if you know if you go to a game you want you know you go to you know see the capitals you know win the cup and then like or the unbeaten eagles (laughs) yeah i mean you you know i'm sure when the capitals win you know there were three million people there and when they lose there were three people there so this is proof but then You can also get, the team can also bundle you into, okay, you were at that game. Would you like to also be at this game? And we'll give you advanced chance to win tickets and that kind of stuff. And some of the smaller groups are doing a lot of the NFT bundling because, you know, it's easier than having your your cousin keep a clipboard at your concert to get people's email addresses so you can let them know when you come back into town. I mean, this is a digital record that everyone can see. And so they can go in, they can see what, their fans like and don't like based on what they've bought from an NFT standpoint. We're about to run out of time, but I want to ask you a fundamental question. Is that, do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a, a good thing if if done legally and ethically and and morally and environmentally well. You know, it'll have its ups and downs. It's right now, you know, seemingly unregulated in some ways untaxed, although the the federal government is getting closer to that. And, you know, if you want to keep it open and available to everyone and decentralized, there'll be good actors and bad actors. But the blockchain part of it is certainly a great way to go for getting all these things streamlined and registered digitally. On that note, I'm afraid we have to say farewell to Dave Allen. Thank you so much for appearing today, Dave. I hope you'll come back, talk about your textbook, your podcast, and various other things that you have in the fire. Thank you, Bob. It was a great pleasure to be here today. This has been Everyday Law. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.